Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, November 10th, 2019 called, Here Comes the End, Children of the Resurrection, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 20, verse 36. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And there's an outline if you want to jot a note or two, and of course it'll be up here. Um, so this is interesting. I, the, the last two sermons I preached, one was, uh, were both in pulpits. Do you know what a pulpit is? Okay, just checking, because a pulpit, and normally in a traditional sacramental liturgical church like ours, Catholic, Anglican, and so forth, and other Protestant traditions too, there's usually one over here and one over here, and it depends on which side the church chooses to put them on and so forth. One's bigger than the other. And so like when, uh, at the time of the Reformation, Luther's was one you climbed up into, to go a bunch of steps up into it, and then had a big soundboard over the top of you, and so that people could hear you without amplification. So I, um, but I do want you to know, with modern technology and everything, both of those, so I was at Emmanuel Twin Falls two Sundays ago, and then in the evening, preaching at the Reformation service, and then at St. Paul's Lutheran in Ogden uh, last Sunday. And in both cases, the microphone didn't work either time. So I had to shout the whole time. So thanks, Ben. Looks like you're getting it dialed in. I apologize for that. Um, so we have a weird, weird uh, reading here today. If you're gonna, if you, if you do look at the readings and want to use them devotionally, these uh, chapters in Luke, right before um, Jesus' arrest, Luke chapter 20, 21, in that range there, it's interesting because as Holy Week plays out, Jesus is received triumphantly, and we kind of focus in on those almost those Advent folk, uh, verses, even before Advent kicks in. So Jesus is entered and welcomed and received triumphantly, right? They call him the Son of David, Hosanna, God save us, right? Praise the Lord. Jesus comes in. The next, very next day, you know what he's doing? He's, he's throwing out money changers in the temple. So he, this is not how to win friends and influence people in Jerusalem. And then the very next day, he teaches, Tuesday is a day of teaching, and when you look through the Gospels on the topics that Jesus speaks on in this day, simply, because Wednesday is a quiet day, we have no, no information on that day, and it makes perfect sense to me, Jesus knows what's coming, and to kind of take a deep breath, and to be in prayer and thought, and because the next day is going to be, is going to start the gauntlet, isn't it? Thursday's the day. Jesus gathers for the Last Supper with his disciples, washing of feet, then the prayer in which no one can stay awake, and then he's betrayed, arrested, betrayed, and he's um, mock trial for the Jews, beaten, scourged, you know, spit upon, and then, of course, the next day is the crucifixion. So, you know, what do you talk about? What do you talk about when you know that in less than 48 hours, you're going, to be, you're going to begin this gauntlet of suffering it's the, to fulfill the reason why you came, the whole purpose of why you came. And of course, while Jesus has been telling people this is coming, even his own disciples are struggling to recognize it or acknowledge it, to anticipate this. 
even when Jesus warns them and alerts them, even those who, who are seeking to put their trust in him struggle, I think we're there too sometimes, where Jesus is wanting to speak very significant words to us, um, and, and then we, we major in the minors. I had to chuckle because I was a little discombobulated when I said, so is it okay if I don't preach from the pulpit? And the pastor kind of went, And I was a little put off by that. And then I stopped and I said, goodness gracious, you know, that's a, that's a nothing. We'll just, we'll just share the word of God. God, God was good and faithful. Um, or where's my glass of water? Or did I bring the right color stole? All those things cross my mind and they're so small. And so here come these... Um, teachers of the law, and there are two major uh, political parties, oddly enough, and one of them is the Sadducees and the other one is the Pharisees. And the Sadducees are kind of the professional clergy, and the Pharisees are the very devout lay leaders, very devout. And the Sadducees run the temple concession, and they're kind of friends with the Romans because they need to keep the peace so they can keep their jobs. And the Pharisees hate the Romans because they're pagans and Gentiles. And the Jews want to run their own country because they're the people of God. So they're butting heads. And one of the things they butt heads over is the resurrection. Is the resurrection. One of the greatest, one of the greatest joys for me being the pastor at a church or the school is I get invited in periodically to classrooms. And every once in a while, teachers say, hey, they want to just ask you questions. And let me give you a sample. I get this one all the time. Who made God? I get that one. If you're looking for answers to all these, come to Bible class. Okay. You have to come to Bible class. Can't do it in a sermon. Hey, this is another one. Will my dog be with me in heaven? Right? That's another one. Big deal. Big deal when you're six. Big deal when you're 36 too, I think. Is Halloween okay? Is it okay for me to read a Harry Potter book? I get questions like, uh, as they get older, right? Well, if God is all-powerful, is there anything that he can't even himself do? Um, Another one that I get is, is it okay for a Christian to serve in the military? I got that question. Is that okay? Um, Is it okay to lie sometimes if it's, if it, if it means that you're not hurting someone's feelings, right? Is, does this dress make me look fat? It's that one, you know. Or sometimes you get the big questions. If God loves us so much and he's powerful, why is there still evil? Right? Those are the big ones. Or what about hell? What's interesting is all of those questions are fascinating, and I get them over and over, and there are, in fact, attempts at processing those things about knowing the nature of God and how he interacts with us. But to be honest, what I just want to talk with kids about is Jesus. (laughs) I just want to talk about Jesus and about his resurrection and about his life. And that's what Jesus is longing to speak to this group in this text. Because you saw the story, right? Oh, do we have those slides? I got to show you those slides. Look at, there's the two sheep, right? This whole thing is a great mystery. This story about the seven brothers and the wives they married, right? That, that one, whole thing is a great mystery. 
Next slide. The nature of human relationships in heaven, right? Is that what it's about? It's a big topic. Last one is, no, the fact that husband number six couldn't spot a trend. (laughs) Hmm. I'm not letting her cook anymore. Yeah, whatever. And obviously, they're trying to stump the rabbi, aren't they? Trying to stump the rabbi. So point number one, back in 1984, a major event in history happened. The board game Trivial Pursuit came out. It was just a a couple of years after I graduated from college. And uh, I will tell you, I was was good at this game. Um, I would uh, walk into my dorm or into where my friends were meeting at their house or whatever, and they'd have Trivial Pursuit out, and I'd walk in the room and they'd go, oh, crud. We will lose. And I would win all the time because my head is filled with millions of absolutely useless facts. And so it was kind of a little bit of a claim to fame for me in my 20s that I could go into a room and, and man, Trivial Pursuit was kind of, I, I, was, I was king of Trivial Pursuit. Uh, and that's really sad that I'm telling you that story. But I think there's, here's the point, right? Because that's what they're doing with the Sadducees. And what the Sadducees are doing, the Pharisees are sitting there too. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection because they accepted all of the Old Testament, including Job and the prophets and so forth, who speak of the resurrection, bodily resurrection, numerous times in the Old Testament. But the Sadducees only accepted the five, first five books, right? First five books. And in that one, there is no direct reference to the resurrection. But Jesus actually cites something from Exodus that says, hey, you guys missed it. You know, the God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not was, is. He is their God. They're living. And so you guys are off target. And so when he gives them that argument, because we're children of the resurrection, and then the Sadducees go away, harumph, 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 and the Pharisees are going, way to go, way to go. Jesus is on our side. It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's that kind of thing. But the first one is this. So here's my word of law for us because I can get caught up in here, is, um, is trivial pursuit. That our faith never descend into or degenerate into trivial pursuit. That our faith is not going around and showing off our ability to, at answering questions, our ability at putting little pies in the little squares in the pie hole and, and being able to complete, successfully navigate the game. And along the way, I have actually added nothing to the body of human knowledge of any importance. That we're not in trivial pursuit. And Jesus wants to remind them and us. And so it's a question for us. Are we in our faith walk? Because, don't get me wrong here, okay? Does the, does the, the, does the, uh, the tile you put on your backsplash, is that fun to talk about? And is it important? Yeah, sure, have fun. But have fun, right? Um, it's just like from the Red Letter Challenge. Remember when Zach Zender talked about watching sports? Because Zach was so into sports and he would just get so into it. And he's watching with his grandfather. And his grandfather used to be very competitive, very athletic, the whole family very athletic, and his grandfather stopped and he said, yeah, sports are fun, but they're not important. And there were days back in the day in my 20s when I lived in Seattle and had just been attending classes at the University of Washington 
when we lost a football game, I'd be in a funk for four days. That's sad. That is really unfortunate. And so I think it's an evaluative moment for us. This text gives us a chance to say, I don't want to be those. That's the question you're posing? The question you're posing is that? Why? So you can win an argument? So that you can get somebody in a gotcha situation? And so I think it's a fair question for us to ask. Uh, let's, we're not engaged in trivial pursuit. Jesus stands on the edge of the most significant acts in all of human history. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the finisher of our faith. So that's the first thing. Are we in trivial pursuit? The second one is this. So when I got married, Teresa and I uh, had dated for about a year, and then she, not quite a year, six months, and then I had pestered her enough that she relented and said yes to marry me. And then we waited a year while we tried to earn some money, and she finished her degree, and then we got married in August of that, of, of that summer, of that particular summer. And so it was great. She did her internship in Seattle, and I'm riding a motorcycle back and forth from Portland to Seattle in the rain. I'm driving cars up to the auto auction. I'm doing anything I can to get up and see her every couple of weeks if I could do it, if I could possibly do it. And it was great. Our relationship grew, and it was wonderful, and we invested in each other. It was just great. Um, and then we had the wedding day, and it was great because I lived there a month beforehand where her folks were, and we were just working and getting the house ready and because we had an outdoor reception and talking with the church and getting all of that ready. And on that day, it is still a tremendous highlight of my life. I can, I can honestly say that as the groom. It was a tremendous highlight. Our dearest, dearest friends had traveled many hundreds of miles and gathered around us, and our family was around us, and it was a tremendous celebration. Teresa, of course, designed the whole experience of worship, and it was tremendous. I mean, we worshiped in that service. It was really neat. And if you had said to me on that day, as we had shared a reception with our family and friends out there in Coeur d'Alene and the, on the edge of the National Forest, and it was a beautiful evening, if you had said to me, like if you'd come up to me as we were about to leave and say, you know what, the day's going to come when this thing that you call love for your wife today will be a pale, small, shadowy thing, I'd have probably punched you in the face. And maybe rightly so. That would be a completely inappropriate thing to say at that moment. But it would have been true. Uh, um, there's a lot of guys in the room who I know would say they married up and uh, that God blessed them with a partner like that. There is, there is so much truth to that, that God has blessed us with the kind of love today that is exponentially, transformationally, qualitatively different than what that love was then. God was faithful to us, and he blessed that. This is the point. This is what, how Jesus responds to that weird question, so if brother one dies and then the next brother and they, they all die, Jesus goes, hey, here's the deal. There's no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. People aren't going on dates. People aren't setting wedding dates. People are, the wedding vows that you had here, those things that you, that you did here, those are shadows. It doesn't mean they're wrong. In fact, they're right. So don't, I don't want you to hear me wrong on there. But look what Jesus says. The people of this age marry, right, and give in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age, the eternal age, and in the resurrection from the dead, 
will not marry or be giving in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like the angels. Here's what I want you to tell you. You know, it's interesting in Greek, there are two words for life. And one is uh, bios, like biology. And the other one is zoe, zoe. And zoe is the life that Jesus used to talk about eternal life. Bios is your heart beating and your lungs gathering air. But Zoe is a whole nother life altogether. Folks, what I'm trying to tell you is these Sadducees, what Jesus is saying for the Sadducees and the Pharisees both is, you're wasting your time talking about that when what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of days is to give you life with a capital L. Not just life with a capital L. All caps. It's life all caps. Now what Jesus is not saying, don't read me wrong, don't read him wrong. He's not saying, oh, this marriage thing, it's insignificant. It's unimportant. It doesn't matter. Those things, your friendships, your relationships, those things. Jesus is not saying that. What Jesus is saying, the blessings that you're experiencing now, how great they are, you know what they'll be there? It's like the guy who might have come up to me on my wedding day and say, yeah, this love you got, it's, it's great. But you ain't seen nothing yet. And so our marriage, our relationships, the love we experience here are gifts from God. But they will be qualitatively and quantitatively different because Jesus is going to redeem and restore and make whole every one of those relationships that we stumble and falter at. And so what Jesus is inviting us to be is to be children of the resurrection. What does that mean? Children of new life. Children of restored life. Children of redeemed life. Resurrection means that there was a death. Resurrection means that there was suffering. There were trials. There were hurts. Even in the midst of love and commitment and faithfulness, there were still challenges. But resurrection means it's a new life. A fresh start and a life which can never be taken from you. There's life and then there's life. Third thing is this. So when I went to, uh, I've told you this story before, I went to a softball tournament in Seattle and we were playing all these church teams and the guy comes in and to the bathroom and he's talking to me and he goes, hey brother, he was all on fire for the Lord. He was, you know, he goes, woo you know, he says, hey brother, when were, you, uh, when were you born again? And I go, well, I was 30 days old and it was in my baptism. And he goes, no, no, I mean, when did you give your heart to Jesus? And I said, well, not that that's a big deal, but I was 30 days old, and it was my baptism. And, and, and he goes, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, when did you make your decision for Jesus Christ? And I said, well, to be honest, it wasn't really my decision that mattered. It was his decision for me that mattered most. So I was about 30 days old, and it was my baptism. And so I said, dude, I said, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I said, but what I have in Christ, I have because he gave it to me, and I'm so, I'm so grateful that he gave it to me. Um, and now to live in it is pretty, pretty, pretty spectacular. And we, we, we had a great conversation afterwards because I said, when were you saved? You know, and so it was great because I don't fight those arguments anymore. When were you saved? And we get a chance to talk. But here's the thing. I was wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bait and switch here. And since they can no longer die, for they are like the angels, they are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. This is, in Greek, we call this a hapax legomena. This phrase appears one time in the whole Bible. One time. Children of the resurrection. 
It's used nowhere else by any other author, just Jesus. They are children of the resurrection. You know when you were born again? When Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you were given new life. Now, whether you took hold of that new life, which is truly life, whether you rejoiced in that new life, which Christ won for you, that's a whole other conversation and discussion. But you were made new. You were born again. You were redeemed. You were seen precious in His sight on Easter Sunday. You were truly born on Easter. I'll give you an example. So I have a, I have a dear friend and he's older than me, and he had two kids. And the two kids, he and his wife just loved very, very much, and they were devout Christians, and they were actually um, teachers in Christian schools. And, uh, but they were so adamant that their two kids get every opportunity at education, and they wanted them to have a broad education. And so they, um, they went to Lutheran schools for a time, but for high school, they searched out some of the finest boarding or other high schools, like an international boarding school, and those kids, they, they enrolled them, and they had to qualify. They studied rigorously, and they qualified for these schools. And it set them on a course, both of them, and then college. They did tremendously well in college, in university, went to some of the elite schools in our country. One of them is a tremendous uh, administers healthcare uh, delivery in multiple hospital network um, in the southeast. And another one actually has taught uh, numerous years internationally and so forth and, and really been very, very successful. But ma their mom told me not long ago, or, or several years ago, they said, we are very proud of our kids for the things they have done and the things they're able to do. But we would trade it all if we knew they were going to be in heaven with us. And that's an interesting thing to me. I want to be known, I think a Christian should long to be known as a child of the resurrection. That's who I am. All the other markers, all the other meanings, all of those other things are irrelevant because regardless of our history or our accomplishments or our failure to accomplish things or our failures or our successes, we are declared such children for Christ has died for us and it's an opportunity for us to rejoice in that we have a new life which has been won long before we ever thought about our Savior Jesus Christ. Children of the resurrection. The fourth thing is this. He is, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now you're going to have to indulge me here because I'm going to give you a walking dead illustration. This is a cable TV show about the zombie apocalypse, which if I talk about it enough with you, you will eventually know what I'm talking about. So I'm that, I love those stories, those science fiction stories, because I'm always fascinated to know what will it look like afterwards. What will people try to do? Will anyone still pray? Will anyone still believe in God? What will we do? So I'm always finding it interesting. So in the first few seasons, it's like in 10th or 11th season of this thing, The Walking Dead. So it's about the zombie apocalypse. And you know what's funny? You would think the whole story is about these dead people that are walking around as if they're kind of alive. And of course it's not. In the first few seasons, it's really about these living people who are really walking around like they're dead people. They're not good to each other. They're not kind. They're, it's nasty. 
So is it about dead people walking or live people dead? And I've discovered it's really not about that. Now that the show has matured, it's really about how do the living live? That's our question. How do the living live? Because we who were dead men walking have been made alive. And then there are even times in our walk with Christ when sometimes we, act, we, we focus in on those things which make us dead, which take us away from Christ. And so what God is saying here, what Jesus is teaching is, for he is the God of the living and not the dead. It's truly about bringing us back to that big L life, that Zoe life, a life forgiven, a life renewed, a life with purpose and hope. That's what Jesus is saying two days before he's arrested. That's the life that I'm calling you to, a life of resurrection. And then here's my last point. It's kind of an epilogue. So if you watch any Marvel movies, you wait and sit there in the theater till the very end because there's going to be a little scene. Here's the little scene for you. Because the very end of this passage is about no one dared to ask him any more questions. So you remember the movie Home Alone? Um, and they're, they're, they oversleep and they have to get to the airport. And while they're out there, the, the vans are there waiting for them to get ready and come and load up. And there's this little dude, this little kid, the neighbor, who comes over and he is a pain in the rear because all he does is ask questions. So he's talking to the driver. Does this have four-wheel drive? Can you fit 15 passengers in here? Do you have to have a special license to have this? What, percent, what PSI are the tire pressure? Is it get aligned every month? Do you do oil change? And the kid is like, kid, get out of here. Stop bothering me, right? I mean, that's what it is. I want to be that kid with Jesus. I want to be that kid. This is a sad ending. No one dared ask him any more questions. Are you kidding me? If I got Jesus in front of me, I'm not stopping. Because I see Jesus faithfully, lovingly, patiently saying, here I am. You are mine. Let me be with you and let me answer your questions. I sometimes don't ask God questions because I don't want, no, think I want to know the answer. But in Jesus, he is always the answer. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be, receive your gifts and for you to speak words of truth even when our attention is focused on trivia, unimportant things. You still honor us, Lord, by engaging us and calling us to new life. We thank you, Lord, that you make us children of the resurrection. You did it long before we decided or chose or acted. We thank you, Lord, that we might live in it. In your grace, amen. Hey, everyone. Just a reminder that we will be having worship on Thanksgiving Day at 10 a.m. here at Grace. Um, just like Pastor Dinger always says, put the turkey in and then come to church. <laughs>